morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. There's a lot uh, in that scripture, and I want to take just a couple more minutes. If you're not familiar with the season of Lent, kind of explain to you what some of the concepts are of Lent, and then introduce our next series to you. The devil comes to Jesus after 40 days in the desert, 40 days of fasting. And in a similar way, Lent is a series of 40 days. We don't count uh, Sundays in that time. But it's a time when the church traditionally takes time as a people and as a community to reflect on our lives, especially in light of the coming acknowledgement of the cross of Jesus and also an acknowledgement of the coming resurrection of Jesus. And if I could sum it up in one simple statement, I would say that Lent is a time for you to examine your life and just ask you the question, is there anything in between me and God that I need to really take a look at? Historically, Lent was a time where folks who had stumbled spiritually or just in their lives and had found themselves on the outskirts of community, Lent was a time when the early church would welcome them through, welcome them back into the community to celebrate their healing, to celebrate their, their getting their lives back together and reestablishing themselves in the community. And just like that today, we just want you guys to take a time this season and ask yourself, is there anything Is there anything hindering my relationship with God? It's a time to to fast, a time to separate yourself as much as you can from the things of, of the world, the things of our culture that tug on us. And those things are even present in that scripture. We like to think of Jesus being tempted by the devil as something that we would never, ever experience. But if you really look at what he's tempted with, Some of the things that Jesus is tempted with after his time in the desert are no different than things that we might encounter. Because the first thing he's tempted with is bread, hungry. It's an everyday thing. We eat every day, most of us do. He's tempted with spiritual power to try and make himself into something that he's not ready for yet. And then he's tempted lastly with political power. And if we translate those things into our lives, it just becomes the temptation is always there for us. Everyday power, spiritual power, the temptation to make ourselves into something that we're not yet ready for. And then political power or job power or status or the number of likes. So Jesus's temptation is our temptation. And Lent is an invitation to say, just as Jesus did to say, no, that I'm going to seek God during this time. Now, relatedly, we decided to to go through a a season, a teaching series during Lent. And the the series comes out of a book I read in the fall called Fierce Landscapes. And then the subtitle had something to do with what we call desert spirituality. Because if we're asking people to examine your life, to reflect on your life, to take some breathing space and look at at what might be hindering your spiritual growth. Sometimes we need to find ways to wake ourselves up because we live in a culture that can set us asleep. And historically throughout time, 
individuals in the church have gone into what they call fierce landscapes, places like the desert, places like the mountains. Because when you walk into a place that's not set up to make you comfortable, it makes you wake up in new ways to how your life is oriented. The desert is a place where water's not easy to find. It's really, really hot. It's really, really cold. It's uncomfortable. And in that discomfort, a lot of times we wake up to realities of where our life is and isn't. And so what we decided to do is take this 40 days of Lent in 2014 and walk through what it's like to live in the desert. Because just as Lent is a time of reflection, the desert is a place of reflection. And it brings up issues that you don't think about when you can go, you know, between your house and your job and Walmart and Costco and then back home again. When you get out into the desert, you get squeezed. And that discomfort usually brings to light the things of our lives that we don't necessarily want to think about, the less pleasant aspects of our personality. And so we're going to start today. And I want to, I want to uh, before we watch the, the series video, I want to suggest to you that if you know, this series is really going to be for two types of people. So if you have friends that need to change and grow, I would suggest you invite them to this series because this is all about change and growth. That's what the desert does. It changes you. You can't live your life the same way in the desert. Second group of people that the series is for is folks who are already in the desert. You are already living in discomfort, in doubt, in grief, in tension. If you know anybody like that in your life, invite them during this season because we're gonna be spending a lot of time talking about those things because those are the types of things that the desert brings up. Now, you know we always have series videos and I'm gonna turn your attention to the side screens and we're gonna watch this series video and then I'm gonna get us into the introduction today. There are times in everyone's life when their spirit is dry, finding themselves surrounded by inhospitable, fierce landscapes which devour hope, leaving behind only sun-bleached monuments of futility. It is in these times where we feel utterly alone, abandoned, desperate. But when we least expect it, and when we need it the most, subtle at first, then reverberating into a crescendo, the desert is alive full of life and beauty for those courageous enough to allow themselves to see beyond the fierce landscapes and experience that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepareth a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. 
my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the rest of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From this fierce landscape, I will emerge victorious. So to, to walk through the desert, we're actually going to be walking through the story of God's people in the book of Exodus because they wander in the desert for 40 years. And we're just going to be examining different waypoints, different stopping points in their journey that speak to our journey through the desert of our own lives. But the story starts before we get to the desert with a man named Abram, and we've talked about him before in the six symbols of the gospel. But Abram is a guy that God calls. He says, go, leave the place that you're in, leave your father's house, your family's country, and go to this place that I'm going to show you. And Abram, by the way, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. All of the nations will be blessed through you. Let me hear you say all of the nations. Now, how many do you think that means? All the nations. In other words, God's rescue restoration project is going to start with this man, Abram, blessing all of the world, setting everything right, starting with one man. That one man has a family. They grow up. They become uh, 12 brothers eventually. And then one of those brothers, a guy named Joseph, goes to live in the land, the land of Egypt. And Joseph does quite well for himself. And he actually uh, grows up to a certain amount of power in the nation of Egypt. And eventually a famine occurs that causes Joseph to invite the rest of his family, Abram's family, the family that God is gonna work everything through to come live in Egypt. But then time passes on and we're told that the power and the status and the honor that Joseph had amassed for himself evaporated. So that we open the book of Exodus with God's people, Abram's family, the restoration project in Egypt, enslaved, in chains. They are construction workers, building cities for Pharaoh, building storehouses for Pharaoh. This is a problem for God's restoration project because I don't know if you can wrap your head around this, but a, a group of people that are gonna bless the whole world are now making bricks all day. So in a sense, the project is in crisis. Things are not looking up for Abram's family and for God's project. This is where our story starts. And I know we can look at this and we can go, well, you know, um, okay, I get this idea. They're building bricks. They're enslaved. What does this have to do with my life? The first thing I want to ask you is to consider the fact that slavery really is just when you're in a situation where you are not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. The purpose for Abram's family is to be part of the restoration of the world, of the rescue of the world. They're caught making bricks and enslaved 
not by their choice. So if I was to ask you, is there a part of your life or do you know somebody who is not capable or free to live out the life and the purpose that God has for them? Would you then be able to understand what slavery kind of looks like in today's world? Does anybody know anybody that says, that person has a wonderful purpose, for, that God has a wonderful purpose for them, but they're not living it out. They're caught up in something. They're making bricks. They're wearing chains. There's something that God wants to do with them, but they're not doing it. Does anybody know anybody like that in their life? Well, you guys have better friends than I do. So they're enslaved. And at this point in the story, I want to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 3. God raises up a man named Moses. And in verse 7, chapter 3, Moses appears, or God appears to Moses. God says this. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Okay, this is the point of the story where everything changes. Because God has said, the rescue project is in jeopardy. The blessing is enslaved. And so he says, Moses, Moses, something's gonna change. And he says, I'm gonna set them free. And I'm gonna take them to a different place, out of Egypt, to a land that's fertile and spacious and it's flowing with what? Milk, whole milk. Vitamin D milk. For a vegan, this is a good big thing. And what else? Honey. 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 And I figured, and you got milk and you got honey, and I was like, what's better? What goes with milk? What goes with milk? Frosted flakes. That's what goes with milk. This is not in the scriptures, by the way. Frosted flakes are so good. I haven't had frosted flakes in so long. And whole milk. Oh, what else is better than that? Spoon would be good. <laughs> then I got to thinking in my life, what would be awesome? And I thought, fried chicken. <laughs> that would be amazing. The whole point is that this is a great promise, is it not? From slavery to milk to honey to the best Things God says. There is an amazing thing out there for you, right? Even though you're enslaved, even though I promised that the whole world was gonna be blessed through you and you find yourself in a place where you're like, I don't think we're living that out at all. God says, uh-uh, still, wait, wait, wait. Milk, honey, but here's the deal before we go any further. You have to understand the nature of the blessing before we go any further. 
Because left on my own, if you just put me down in front of a bowl of frosted flakes and milk, oh man, it is over. I am. When God says, I'm gonna take you out of this and I'm gonna take you to this place with these things, it is not so you can get bowl after bowl after bowl of frosted flakes. It's not so you can eat box after box after box of fried chicken. The freedom is for a purpose. How many of the world's nations are supposed to be blessed by God's people? All. So when God says, I'm gonna set you free, it's not just so you can come over here and live in the land and get fat and happy. It's because you have a job to do. So when God says, I'm gonna set you free, Yes, you go to the land and it's fertile and spacious and you rest. But you know why you rest? Because you need to heal up from being a slave. Because you have a mission to do. Yes, yes, it's going to feel like you are now a people and you're not slaves anymore. But you know what you don't do? You don't say, look, we're gonna start the new club. It's called the Frosted Flakes and Whole Milk Club. And isn't it great? Because we're a part of the club. It's not. God says, you have a mission to do. It's the whole world. So it's not a club that you rule people out of. It's so that you can go, dude, you really got to try these frosted flakes. They are amazing. And it's not so everybody can come into the land and get their own lazy boy recliner and their own box of fried chicken and eat it. It's so that we can all come in together and be connected. Not just to have good things, but to have good things for a purpose of blessing the world. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Is this clear? You folks over here seem to get it. Is this clear? I know I'm not usually over here and it feels like you're really far away, but this is what these people have to deal with every week. So there's only one problem with this, right? So we're here in Egypt. This is the place of slavery. What's over there? Milk and honey. What's in between slavery and milk and honey? Hmm? The desert. The desert. And if you don't know the story, Israel spends 40 years in the turtle. And here's the deal. I think we all understand what it means to not experience and not be living the life that we think God has for us. We all know what it means to be off mission. We all know what it means to be feel somehow I'm bound up, I'm stuck. And I think we also know the hunger for something more. But you know where I think we get really, really kind of sideways? I think we all want to leave slavery and walk straight to the promised land. And we don't want to stop here. Because here is uncomfortable. Here is hot and sweaty and cold at night. And here is doubt. And here is questions. But you know what else is here? Growth and change. Because if you take somebody who's used to living in this life, enslaved, 
and you go put them in front of a bowl of frosted flakes and fried chicken that's not easy to say, they're not going to be ready for it. And so what we need to do is we need to walk through desert places so that we can grow and mature. And then when we get to the promise, we're like, I'm ready for it. I'm not the same person I was over there. But make no mistake, this is not fun. Psychologists have a word for it. They call it liminal space. And liminal space is exactly what the desert is. It is in between. It's not old. It's not new. It's not comfortable. And it's not necessarily fulfilling. The best metaphor that everybody uses, it's like walking through a door. And you have one foot in the old room and one foot on the threshold. But you're neither here nor there. And nobody likes being here but it's the only place that change happens. Because we're out of our comfort zone. We're hungry for something more. And in that in-between tension place is where change happens. Between slavery and freedom, between the promise and the fulfillment, between the old thing and the new thing. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. Everybody say it's necessary. So this is where we're going to be. Israel was there for 40 years. We're only going to be there for 40 days. But the desert wakes us up to new opportunities and it refines our thinking and it opens us up to new realities. But there's one other part to this story and it's really applicable for today because there is another piece to the puzzle before we get to the desert. Israel is enslaved. God comes down and he starts knocking on Pharaoh's door saying, Pharaoh, what? Let my people go is the phrase that some of us grew up with. And Pharaoh says, no, no. And God starts doing things. He starts waking Pharaoh up to the fact that he is not in charge and he really needs to listen to God. They're called the plagues. They culminate with this awful, awful, horrific uh, thing where God passes through Egypt and he strikes down every firstborn born child. At the point where Pharaoh's ego and his, his strength is brought to an end. And finally he says, get out of here, Israel. Get out of here, Abram's family. Go. Get out of my land. And they go. So the people of, uh, people of Israel are finally set free from Pharaoh and they start walking towards the promised land. But as most uh, dictators and most people who are, have a lot of power in the world and it's taken from them, Pharaoh wakes up and he goes, oh, I just set my entire workforce free. This is a problem. So he calls his generals and he says, hey, you know those guys that I just set free? They're like, uh-huh. He's like, go get them and bring them back. Like, uh-huh, okay. So Israel is walking towards the desert. They're on their way. Pharaoh sends his chariots, his cavalry, his army after them. Israel gets to the edge of the Red Sea, to the edge of the water. 
And between them and over there is this huge barrier that they can't get across. And what's more is the army is coming after them. So the first thing that God does is he says, I'm going to protect you. So between Israel and Pharaoh, the scriptures say a cloud rose up and it stayed between them so that Pharaoh couldn't get to the children of Israel. And then at night, the cloud turned into a fire. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how to explain it, but I believe it. Somehow there was a barrier of fire between Israel and Pharaoh. And they're standing at the edge of these waters. And then this says, this in chapter 14. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry land with walls of water on each side. So before you even get to the desert is this place of the water. And we're celebrating baptism today. Uh, and actually, one of the metaphors of baptism is passing through the waters, just like Israel did. But there's two things I want to kind of point out to you about this story. Think of Israel's position. It is nighttime. And they're facing a body of water. And they're told, start walking. Now, has anybody ever been like out in a pitch black night or in a pitch black house and somebody has shined a flashlight behind you, standing right behind you, shining a flashlight? If that was to happen, if somebody's standing right behind me, where, where is the light going to go? Around me. Where's my shadow going to go? right in front of me. Where's the fire with Israel? It's behind them. So as Israel starts walking into an ocean, where's their shadow? In front of them. So they're walking into an ocean with shadows in front of them. I always thought that somehow the fire would be in front of them going in through the Red Sea. But it's not. They're walking in shadow. I don't know about you, but it takes an awful lot of faith for me to take a step that I can't see into water that's supposed to be there, but isn't. So to cross through the waters takes a pretty good amount of faith. And then relatedly, again, we want to pass through the waters thinking there's the faith, now I get the promise. But where do you pass through the waters into? You don't pass through the waters to the promised land. The faith takes you into the place of growth, the place of change that gets you ready for the promise, but is not the promise. So as we stand here on the frontier of, of this series, Fierce Landscape, the first question I would ask you is just, are you willing to pass 
through the waters. If you want to change, if you want something that's over there, are you willing to just say, God, I wanted the fire to be ahead of me. I wish the path was lit up ahead of me. It's not, but thank God there is a fire. It's behind me and it's dark in front of me, but I will pass through. Let's pray.